Welcome to the Tales of Mythic Adventure podcast, coming to you from distant shores with your hosts, Jeff and Mob. Well, good afternoon, evening, or wherever you are, and welcome to the Tales of Mythic Adventure podcast. My name is Michael O'Brien, or sometimes known as Mob, and on the other end of the earth, the other end of the microphone, is Jeff Richard. How are you, Jeff? Hi there. Hi there. I'm Jeff Richard. I'm here in uh, exciting, glamorous, and very wet Berlin in the middle of summer. Oh, well, we've just had the winter solstice down here. and uh, just You know, the, the funny thing is, uh, the, the irony of is I actually don't think that our temperatures are that much different. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> and, uh, of course, also here at the uh, other end of the earth is uh, Rob, the producer. Uh, say hi to everyone, Rob. Well, uh, hello, everybody. And can I just say, um, Jeff, that uh, downtown uh, Blackburn South in Melbourne is exactly like Berlin, uh, in the wet bit. The, the glamorous and exciting, not so much. <laughs> oh, we're glamorous and exciting, but very, very wet recently. Wonderful summer torrential rainfall. Well, we could keep talking about the weather for... <laughs> Absolutely. For well, you know, you guys thought that you were going to turn in for a discussion about uh, world building in <sighs> fantasy settings, esoteric mythology, and so forth. But this is actually going to be discussing the weather uh, in Berlin and Alberta. Right? But, but, but in actual fact, weather is a very important feature of uh, world building and mythology. Very important. Uh, uh, very important. Very important. And you know what? That's actually something where you can um, you can tell whether the writer is familiar with more than one different part of the world on uh, pretty much we're looking at whether the weather changes from place to place and that there's more than just the uh, endless snow country, you know, the beyond the wall. And then the nice hot desert country isn't yeah. that the two <laughs> in in so many settings that seems to be the uh, the the two climates that you get and uh, you know in the Star Wars setting for example there's an ice world and you know there's a desert world you can't actually seem to have a world that has a bit of ice and a bit of desert very true although our own world has been one and then the other at different times in its history. Indeed, it has. So let's 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 move now to another completely different world, which is uh, so different. In fact, it's a as familiarly described as a squarish, bulging lozenge floating in the primal ocean. And of course, that world we're talking about is is Glorantha. Yeah. Oh, you're forgetting you're forgetting the uh, sky dome above you, where the uh, every day the sun journeys atop the. Uh, well, actually, on the, I guess that would be journeys on the underside of the Sky Dome, mm-hmm. making its daily progression from the gates of dawn to the gates of dusk, and then back down into the underworld. That's the world we're talking about. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 as a diversion, uh, totally, only partially related uh, side comment. That whole progression of the sun. Um, on a chariot or on a boat uh, through the, the the sky during the day and then through the underworld uh, during the night is a really common uh, mythic motif in a lot of religions and a lot of cultures. Uh, I wish it was something that we could say Greg came up with uniquely from for Glorantha, 
but uh, I, I, I fear at least 20 different religions uh, have us beat to the punch well, with that one. Well, I guess, I guess they all looked up at the sky and had to work it out, didn't they? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, there was at uh, EternalCon uh, a few weeks back, there was a wonderful pr- um, presentation by uh, Christina Reich, who was just on the show a couple of episodes ago. And she was uh, showing quite a bit of information uh, of uh, sun cults from the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. Wonderful source of inspiration for people. Ter- to- terrific name. T- terrific name for a band. Sun Cults of the Bronze Age? <laughs> oh, well, God, that is an awesome name for a band. Hey, and they could all wear those uh, pointy golden hats. Uh, absolutely. They, they, You know, it would be sort of like a, an even more mystical version of Devo. <laughs> yes. But with golden hats instead of plastic uh, uh, planner's boxes. Something kinds. Yeah, I think Devo came from the clanking city in Glorantha, actually. All I can say is Devo was awesome. Indeed. Hey, so speaking of cities, though, uh, I understand. Well, I know because I've been uh, going back and forth with you on this. There's a city that uh, has been occupying your attention for for the last few months and has been fleshed out in a really interesting way. Can you tell us a bit about that, Jeff? Well, yeah. Uh, what we've been... Uh, what you and I have been working on, along with uh, Harold Smith and Kalen, or Colleen, is uh, the city of Nochit. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, that they, they, the folklore of the naming of the city was uh, Greg needed to have a big city on the southern coast. And somebody asked Greg, hey, have you named that city on the southern coast yet? And Greg said, not yet. And that became the name. No and the rest is history. The rest is history. <laughs> and for a very long period of time, we really didn't have uh, a lot of development uh, for this city, uh, which is a crying shame because what, what little we knew was is that this was uh, one of the biggest cities in the world, uh, mm-hmm. biggest cities in the setting, a very old and ancient city, and that the queen of that city is also the uh, queen of the surrounding land of Israelia, which is one of the most populated uh, polities in, in, in Glorantha. And is interesting also because it is traditionally ruled by women as opposed to being ruled by men. Uh, and it's also the main, the main commercial center for um, trade in much of Glorantha, it is the the uh, city with the some of the largest temples to Ernalda and Lankorbai and Isseries, and it's also where the, the city from which the uh, oceans were opened. So all, all in all, we knew that it played a very, very rich role in the Glorantan setting, but it's basically been in the last few months that uh, you and I and Harold have really, really been working hard to give it the same level of detail as uh, the city of New Pavis, which is an infinitely less significant city, uh, has received. Well, the, the interesting thing to think about that is uh, New Pavis has a population of, what, 5,000 people? Or is it uh, 5,000 5, when uh, people come in uh, from the surrounding areas, yeah. But uh, what, what we're trying to do for Notchett is a similar level of detail for a city of 
100,000 people. Yeah, so uh, well over... By the time... the Right now, the, the project that, that we're doing is looking at Nochit sometime... I think the, the, the date that we're picking is 1623. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that we have some room to move things forward a little bit. Uh, or maybe it's 1624, right after the the uh, siege by the Lunar Army. And at that time, I'd say Nochit's got somewhere between 110 and 120,000 people. Which makes it by, by far the biggest uh, city in the whole of Glorantha. Well, um... There is the uh, there is a city in Kralorella that is probably comparable, maybe a little bit smaller. There is Garguna in Fonrit that mm-hmm. is in that scale, and I believe Glamour. I think Glamour is only half the size of Nochit to mm-hmm. put things in perspective. I think it's only oh, quote unquote only uh, about fifty thousand people, but I could be wrong. I'm not, I'm not looking at. Uh, the Guide to Glorantha, which is where uh, I always go to whenever I have any questions like this. Oh, that's the go-to book. So, that- yeah, interestingly, before that, um, really, back in the day, probably the only information that uh, existed, this is sort of back in the heyday of RuneQuest 2 about uh, the holy country and notch it, was that write-up in um, the RuneQuest, RuneQuest Companion. Companion. And I remember I was writing a scenario... Uh, for the Western special of Tales of the Reaching Moon, which I set in Ezrolia. But because I had so little to go on, I actually made all the main characters uh, Westerners. and Which the... is a damn shame now uh, when we look at it in retrospect. It is, it is, because there was so much more that could have been done with that. But uh, we ended up having Westerners as the main characters because I just didn't have enough to go on. Uh, with with what had been written about Notchit at the time. There was, of course, uh, in the RuneQuest Companion, the very amusing uh, story, The Smell of a Rat. Do you remember that one, Jeff? Oh, absolutely. The, the, uh, is it Zeno, the investigator? Yes, who's uh, the, the greatest living detective in Glorantha. It's a... It's a Who it's, I always imagined must look exactly like Zero Mostal from about the time of... Uh, a funny thing happened uh, in the forum or the producers. You know, I'd never thought that, but now that you've placed that in my mind, I can't <laughs> think of him looking any other way. Exactly. I, 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 for, for whatever reason, I've just always assumed that it's Zero Mostel. Was he Zeno or Zero? I think his name was Zero Mostel. Uh, it had to have been Zero Mostel. Yeah, he'd, yeah. Be, he'd be Zero Mostali in Glorantha, of course. <laughs> So um, later, I actually did do a. I, I, I remember I wrote something about Notchit and uh, Constant I, to Notchit. Yes, yes, it was a little bit too much like that. And then, of course, we discovered uh, the fact that there's Sog City, and that that fit the uh, the metaphor so much better. So uh, you know, I'm I, I was happy for that to not be canonical anymore. I guess you could say. So, tell us a little bit about uh, about Notchit the way it's going to be presented. Well, what we did is we started with uh, some material that Greg and I put together a couple of years ago that was trying to describe Nochit in the, primarily in the first age, 
but a little bit in the second age and a few notes on Nochet in the third age. And, it, and that's from the book, uh, Israelia, Land of 10,000 Goddesses. Mm-hmm. And so we, but what we knew was, is that after uh, the closing and then after the dragon kill, Nochet just really declined into being a uh, little more than a, a religious and ceremonial center of a few thousand people. And and at its uh, nadir, it was it was probably not much bigger than New Pavis, uh, which gave us a tremendous amount to to work on because that meant that that to a very large extent everything that had been written in uh, in and described in the Israelia Land of Ten Thousand Goddesses uh, background material really. All we had to do was keep a few of the major features, and everything else had to be rebuilt. And so we went through the process of, okay, what's the center of the city? Well, the center of the city, we know, is the uh, sacred city. That's the, the the palace and temple complex where the mm-hmm. the Queen of Israelia is, and it's one of the main Arnalda, um, uh temples. It's where the uh, Azraelia treasury is, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, we knew where a couple of other major uh, temple complexes had to be because uh, they had been there in the past, and even if they had been destroyed uh, when the city went into decline, you know, what, what, what's one of the first things you always rebuild? Temples. Absolutely. And do you put you, you usually put your temples where you think the old temple was, and that's mm-hmm. that. And that even goes on today in the modern world. I mean, look at the look at the conflict that's gone on in India in the last few years of um, uh, b- with the Golden Temple. Yeah. Well, what what, what was the was it Sarnath, where there were part of the temples were destroyed um, by uh, Muslim invaders, uh, and that now they're they, the mosques that had been built there have been destroyed and. Um, Hindu temples are being built on the same place. Oh, it's, I mean, an, end, is... it's an endless process. They've, they've still been destroying them in, in, in recent years as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But this, and this is just a... This sort of thing, of course, matters in, in, in Grantha because the places that these uh, temples are built on are almost always places of great magical, uh, mythical significance. So mm-hmm. if you used to have a big temple to uh, a god... On uh, on a particular place, when it's time to build a new, you know, and if that temple gets destroyed, when it's time to build a new temple uh, to that god or goddess, you're going to go to the old location. Mm. And uh, alternatively, if the, you're the conqueror, you destroy that temple and you build a temple to whatever god defeated the old god. And and this has, uh, of course, happened uh, in the real world all over the place. Look at, for example, Jerusalem. Well, that's the yeah, that's one of the, the 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 examples that just leaps into mind. But you know, you can also look throughout Europe. Many of the locations where cathedrals were built are on the locations that used mm-hmm. to be cult centers for uh, pre-Christian uh, mm-hmm. sites, right? Mm-hmm. So, anyways, that's a, a big way of rambling. But but uh, uh, about that, you know, we knew that there would be a variety of temples. But then after that, we started breaking down the population of the city, 
Um, how many non-Israelians uh, live there? How many rich noble houses need to be there? I mean, you you were involved in this. It was there was an awful lot of detail that we came up with. Oh, sure. And I think I think a really interesting thing about a city like Notchit, because it's a, uh, I believe the term is an entrepot, where people come in from all over the world. It means that you can have people from all over the world in the city. And there are there are little groups of just about anyone you can think of living here, even people from uh, Pamel Teller. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, one of the things that I found very interesting in, in working out the population of Nochet is that it's the largest... Uh, it's actually, Nochit is the largest Sardarite city in the world. Yeah, isn't that interesting? And um, I, 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 for whatever reason, I just find um, uh, the idea that it's actually this huge um, population center for other groups, other than Israelians. To make it much uh, a much richer and much uh, more diverse place, you've got a a Krellerella neighborhood that, um, and and unfortunately, I'm not looking at the population breakdown right now. But there's there's correct me if I'm wrong, but I, if I remember, it was something around a thousand people, yeah. maybe more. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, you would have um, a Pamel Tellen, wow, really Funridian. Um, uh, neighborhood you have uh, na- you have people from Ralios you have a um, uh, a Ezra Vuli neighborhood oh we'll uh, have to we'll have to talk city walls. We, sh- we need to talk a bit more about the Ezra Vuli a bit later on in the episode because that's been a really oh been that's a really been interesting a- discussion yeah you know that- we worked out what was it the street that they have the big phallus dance on <laughs> yep that the the other thing is in working out the geography the geography of the city is is always trying to keep um, look what was that Rob? Um, sorry guys, I have to just break in there. And now is is that a big dance or is a phallus big? Both, both. <laughs> okay. Well, and one of the things Something. one of the things that we really wanted to make is very clear in the geography of the city is. Uh, the most important deity in Israelia is the goddess of, um, you know, of her core functions is female sexuality. And um, we figured, and, and one of the gods that's important there is the volcano god, who is also a, a phallic deity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what is the, what's the, what's the term? Uh, uh, Ithi, phallic? Mm-hmm. Isn't that the the, yep. the nice uh, nine dollar word that you use to describe that sort of stuff? Uh, and you know, we, we we just figured that that it would it would result in a city that just felt very different from um, certainly from the cities of our modern world. Although there are places in the world that have these sort of of, of festivals, 
But also, it just would make it very different from what's usually in a fantasy setting. Yeah, from the usual sort of uh, fantasy tropes that are for, that are done for a, a medieval-style city or, or something like that. But actually, probably uh, a bit more familiar to the Romans because they often had a lot of phallic imagery in their cities and used that as a fertility oh, Romans, symbol. The, yeah. the Romans, the Greeks... Um, is it uh it's Bhutan right in uh, it, it's in the it's but it's in Bhutan where they still um, paint uh, phalluses on the buildings everywhere mm-hmm uh, you know in the ancient world that was a very very common symbol if you go to the uh, Pergamon no I think it's actually the Altus Museum on Museum Island they have the uh, they have this little room that's the R-rated Roman antiquities room oh. that includes the uh, the phallus wind chimes. Oh, this is um, this is Museum Island, by the way, in Berlin. Berlin has so many museums; they've put a whole lot of them on an island. Oh, it's it's a series of absolutely unbelievable museums. But the w- one thing that's very nice, the way it's th- displayed uh, in the museums in Germany is the often in-your-face sexuality in the ancient world isn't whitewashed. Like, often when I go to the the British Museum, Mm -hmm. it often feels that that that's uh, played down significantly. And and the truth is is that, that, that I really get the feel that the ancient world was a lot more like an HBO special. (laughs) Yeah. Than it, than it is uh, 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 I, Claudius. So, you know, we, we had a lot of fun with Notchett in terms of not just setting up what this city is all about, but when you have 50,000 people in a Bronze Age city, we had to come up with answers to questions like, how do Where does they, the water come from? Where, where's the water come from? How do they get fed? Where does the waste go? And uh, so on and so forth. And they've been really interesting things to look at as well. So uh, in terms of where the water comes from, um, we figured that there has to be uh, canals and aqueducts that run through Esrolia to the city. So oh, of course. There would have to be. Yep. So we absolutely... Yeah, go on. And, and also, of course, the flip side to that is we've, we've come up with the sewers and drains... All of this makes, of course, for a city that's going to be great for adventuring in. Oh, exactly. And that's the other thing about this is that this is that, that all of this detail isn't being done uh, simply to, to engage in our love of world building. The idea is just to end up with a product that uh, is ideal for uh, gaming campaigns. Absolutely ideal for it. So, so what we're actually talking about here is making Notchet into a really, really good, perhaps even default gaming setting going forward. Oh, absolutely! And I love, I love urban urban campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the possibilities that you have in this city are just wonderful. You have this this sacred city. Um, you know the palace of the queen and her, her her priests and priestesses, and you know all that sort of pomp, and the various other noble houses. So you can have you know your your um, your political scheming and high magic stuff going on there. But you also have 
you know the all gritty s- social realism stuff. You have the gritty social realism. You have bizarre. You have a shrine on every corner. You have. Just, uh, just to give an idea of the numbers, there's, what, about 70,000 Israelians, and the vast majority of them are not the rich and powerful. Mm-hmm. You've got about 20,000 uh, Hjortlings in the city. Um, and I found the, um, the the population breakdown, which I, I at least find interesting, that you've got about 5,000 Kaladralanders, you have 2,500 Westerners, a thousand and a half people from uh, the Trader Princes, um, a thousand and a half Teshnites. I mean, you could do a Teshnos campaign and never actually leave the city of Nochit. Wow. There's there's 3,000 trolls in the city. There are yep. more trolls yeah. in Nochit than there are in the Big Rubble. <laughs> Yeah. And I just find that you know it's a it's um it's a microcosm of the whole of the whole world, uh, all in one giant mega city. And and I just find that to be a wonderful default for telling stories, having adventures, having campaigns. And you know we've had I think a, a good year and a half of regular gaming sessions just in the city of Nochit. Yeah, sure, and. When you've uh, when you want to do something else different, of course, Nochit has those amazing docks with boats and ships that can take you all over the world, and uh, can also take you all the way up into Dragon Pass and other places as well. So, oh, absolutely, spot. And and you know you can there's we, we figured out what that there's 500 Videli in the city and oh, anywhere there? where there's Videli, oh, yeah, there's 500 Videli. That uh, that 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 does Anywhere not go well. Oh, absolutely! Well, they're always polite. The Videli are always polite. Uh, but you know, that's just wonderful opportunities for good, weird uh, stuff going on in your campaign. And but the amount of back work that you and Harold and I did about this—you know, trying to work out the history of the queens going back several hundred years trying to work out um, uh, all sorts of peripheral matters like where does the water come from? Where does the food come from? Mm-hmm. How do we store the food? Um, all of that adds, adds credibility to the location. And uh, one of the things that I thought was particularly ni- nice is we never relied on any particular real-world uh, uh, city. But, no, but no, we haven't from really. A lot of sources. Yeah, we haven't really just grafted uh, something on here, and I think that that's really important too. Um, the other thing that uh, we're trying to put together with this is that the Holy Country has six provinces, yes. and we've been uh, looking at the idea of uh, writing scenarios that's going to take the players to each one of those provinces. Yeah, so I took the lead with uh, the City of Wonders, and I have um, uh, a write-up of the City of Wonders with uh, locations and then a, uh, a scenario which has the players being um, uh, involved in the sacking of the City of Wonders by Herrick the Berserk, uh, but going off on their own into the basements of the old God King uh, to steal an artifact. And you have come up with... 
I've been working on Casino Town, and I think Casino Town's been one of the most uh, enigmatic and mysterious places on the map ever since you saw it uh, all those years ago. It's, it's if you remember back in uh, back looking at that map of the Holy Country in. 19, was it 1985? The RuneQuest Companion came out. Oh, I think it's older than that. Is it? I think it's. I think it's. It's the last. It's before RQ3 came out. It's going back an awful long time, and it's like you look at that and you go, Casino Town. What on earth is that? Especially there. So what we've done is we've we've come up with exactly what Casino Town is, and it's a little bit tricky because. There probably weren't casinos back in the real Bronze Age. <laughs> so we haven't actually tried to make it a Bronze Age casino. I have, I have to honestly say that uh, I've put some tropes in about, uh, about Vegas and things like that in there because I think that's what people would expect. Oh, you've got to have you've, you've got to have some of those. But on the, the other hand, it doesn't feel like it is out of place. If that makes any sense, I've tried really, really hard to do that, and I mean the 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 the, the physical location doesn't look anything like like a casino town. It's it's based on an Iranian uh, caravanserai, isn't it? It is, yes, a circular Iranian caravanserai that you can actually stay in. I'd, I'd love to do it one day. Oh, um, it would be awesome. Yeah, but uh, we. We also had to have a think about, and, I've, and, I've, and of course I've used the, uh, the guide here, and in the guide it describes how that the people of God Forgot um, are ruled by uh, the Brithini, or a Brithini, who's called... By the, a Brithini Taylor. Yes, by a Brithini Taylor. So we had to work out exactly what that means, and how that's come about. These people that were there are called the Ingerines, aren't they? Jeff, can you tell? Yes, they are. They are that the Ingerines are folk who, at the dawn of time, um, had no god. Uh, they worshipped no god, and um, they claimed that their that that their deities had been killed in the gods' war, um, or that their deity uh, had been killed in the gods' war. Hence, the reason that it's often called God for God. And they followed more or less uh, the ancient Brithini uh, way of life, but um, as best they could, as best they could, and with only a hundred people at the dawn, it wasn't going to be particularly uh, rigorous, uh, at least in comparison to what you could actually do on on Brithos or even in uh, Seshnella or Frenella. Uh, but the um, they 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 managed to survive out in the dawn, and um, their populations grew, uh, particularly amongst those people that uh, decided to relax their ancient Brithini ways even more to make basic accommodations with uh, agriculture, uh, raising animals, etc., 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 and those people increased. Uh, you know, fairly substantially in population, while the Ingerines themselves remained a relatively small group uh, until what the Second Age is when they actually things actually start going kind of well from their perspective. 
Is this when the clanking city happens? Yes. When the, when when uh, they get contacted by the Middle Sea Empire and the Zisterites, who want to build uh, the divine automaton, which sounds splendid to the Ingrins. Oh, they embrace it big time. And of course, the, it doesn't end well for them, though, does it? No, it ends up with the... Um, the Iron the machine, Crusade, the Machine Wars. Or the Machine Wars, exactly. But those other people that 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 had been Ingrains, you know, let's call them Reform Ingrains, they began to adopt the uh, many of the 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 pragmatic ways of life of their Theolan, and and Theolan is just a word for uh, another word for Orlanthi, their mm-hmm. Orlanthi neighbors, you know. Were, um, they they offered um, worship to various gods that would be useful to them. They got rid of a lot of the strict caste rules, got rid of a couple of the castes altogether. Uh, and those people, and, and ended up um, even ch- uh, adopting the language of their neighbors for uh, daily use, mm-hmm. keeping only their ancient language for religious rituals. Those people became the Esvulari who are the other sorcery-using culture in the Holy Country. So you basically have two sorcery-using cultures uh, there. One, which is very hardcore, atheist, and uh, extremely rigorous in uh, their use of of logic and taboo um, and caste law, and that's the Ingerines. And the other, who are the Esvalari, who are... Not so rigorous. Their magic isn't anywhere near as good. Um, uh, and they even as a appreciate result. that, don't they? They understand yep. that uh, yep. their magic isn't as good as their. Well, they're, they're, they are essentially the same people in one respect, aren't they? They they were the same people. They I mean, were now same, I, yes. They, they, yes. I mean, now they don't even speak uh, the same language except for cult rituals. It, they do actually live uh, in proximity to each other, yes. and and I I was I was toying around with a, a metaphor for it, and I was kind of thinking of the Amish, you know, living in Lancaster County. But you came up with a far better uh, metaphor, I thought. Yeah, I, I I view them sort of like the relationship between the uh, Essenes, which were a a very hardcore uh, Jewish sect. Uh, in the second century BC through about the first century AD, um, who were extremely rigorous uh, in their their practice of ritual purity and the law, um, and didn't want to have any compromise with the outside world at all. And the uh, Hellenistic Jews of the coast, and particularly of Alexandria and Egypt and uh, the, the rest of the Mediterranean, who greatly outnumbered groups like the, uh, the Essenes. But the, the Hellenistic Jews had pretty much well adopted Greek for their mm-hmm. regular for regular language adopted a lot of the 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 customs of their their neighbors were certainly nowhere near as rigorous in their application of the law as the Essenes but on the other hand um, there was always a degree of of acknowledgement that um, the the area around Jerusalem 
were the people that, that um, you know, that's where the big magic took place. And I thought that that, that that works well for thinking about the relationship between the Esvalari and the Ingerins. Oh, I think so. And the the I think the really interesting irony or, 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 or just something that makes you scratch your head is it's the Ingerins that run Casino Town, not the Esvalari. Yes. So the uh, Ingerines, uh Well, the Ingerines, the Ingerines oversee Casino Town. But if I recall, the Ingerines don't actually... If you come to Casino Town, you don't have a whole lot of... of uh, if I recall, most of the actual interaction you would have there would be with um, people who do stuff for the Ingerines. Yes, uh, including a lot of Esvalari. And... There is actually a prohibition against gambling if you're a Brathini, but there is a rationalisation, and that's it's not gambling if you always end up ahead. <laughs> well, the other bit is, is 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 working out what is actually the big purpose of Casino Town. And if I recall, the, the big function of Casino Town is... Um, that the activities that are going on, the casino, the gambling is is an incidental byproduct. It essentially is. Um, there is a there is a device that uh, the teller has has built into his his great house there. Oh, it's called the great house where he lives, also yes. known as the Faro. Exactly, which is and, a and interesting. And that's. Uh, that's a little nod for those of you all who have been following Glorantha for a long time. Uh, and that is that once upon a time, uh, the ruler of the holy country was referred to by Greg as the Pharaoh. Yes. Uh, and the reason was is that Greg thought Pharaoh meant God King. But it doesn't. And unfortunately, whenever you say Pharaoh, people immediately assume somebody wearing the double crown of Egypt with the curly beard um, and desert pyramids. and pyramids. Sphinxes. And it, exactly. And since Pharaoh just means big house. Yes. And so um, that really doesn't have any mythological resonance for Belantar. And so for, we've, we've called Belantar you know, by the title... Belantar, the God King, the Master of Luck and Death. I, I believe he has a numerous titles that are given in the Prince of Sardar comic, but one, what is not referred to in any publication for many years now is Pharaoh. Yes. But we wanted to have at least a hat tip to that, and that is uh, the name of the, uh, uh, the big device that the Taylor has, uh, which also was a real-world game. Pharaoh. Yes, and he has it in his manor, which became known as the Great House. It has the Pharaoh wheel there, which is believed to have both prophetic and cosmogenical properties. And people could and, bet on And we're not going to speculate where it actually came from, but it's worth pointing out that Casino Town isn't very far away from the ruins of the Clanking City. Yes, yes, one would wonder. And... So as Casino Town grew, even gods and heroes and demigods were lured there to win new powers and knowledge on this wheel. So 
it's that's that's more or less how this uh, how this began, and the casino aspect of it sort of uh, built up around that over time, and became really big after the opening, and so this this all gets mapped out in in the way we describe what happens to uh, Casino Town. The story of Bellantar, of course, and, and everyone yes, man knows who broke the bank. Yes, we we all know that he's the man that broke the bank. So of course he came, and kept on doubling down with his winnings, and kept on doubling down, and, and kept on. And his down. winnings weren't monetary; they were magical. They were magical. Yes, I think we even have a Brithini word to describe what that was. And uh, ever since that day, ever since the day that Ballantar broke the bank, he could then go on with his ready war chest to conquer the rest of the holy country. Yeah, because the sorcerers, this uh, the and again this the 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 monetary component of this war chest is less important than the. Uh, the magical component of it is that essentially the sorcerers of the of God Forgot are horrifically in Bellantar's magical debt. Um, sorry, guys, can, can I just um, clarify this? So it's like if you go to a casino and the Wheel of Fortune is, is in fact the Wheel of Fortune. Yes. Absolutely, oh, literally, yes. Yes, it's it's <laughs> yes, it's not just so when you're gambling in Casino Town, yeah, the punters are gambling for coins and a I little bit of magic. But the coins, they care about the coins. They don't care that you know that they're pledging part of their spirit uh into this because they're not pledging that much of it. Um the magical energy that they're that they're giving up isn't a big deal to them compared to the the handful of coppers but when you're a more you know when you're actually a magically attuned person you know a hero uh, uh, a powerful priest a godling uh, a demigod you come to casino town because the wheel of fortune is exactly what it means yeah and um much of the time you end up giving a lot of your magical power to the sorcerers of god forgot unless you are you know, an entity like um, a Bellantar who wins the Wheel of Fortune over and over and over again until there's no ability for God forgot to pay him out. Well, in actual fact, he went even further. He broke the bank because the yep. teller actually blinked. Yep. Which is... Yeah, because, because the legend is that you can bet anything on the Pharaoh Wheel. And... and He's the only person that got to the point where the where the teller blinked and said, "No more, no more, no more." Yes, yes, and and but as a result, um, it became even more important for um, the ruler of God forgot to get suckers. I mean, um, um, people to come into uh, to play the wheel of fortune, the Pharaoh wheel. Uh, it became far more important because that's the only way they would ever be able to start paying down the debt that they had to Bellatar. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think he's even paying down the principal yet, by the way. Oh, I, I think he started, I think for a short period of time um, uh, after the opening, I think they actually, they got, they, they, they were breaking even on all the stuff that they had to pay to uh, Bellantar and maybe even paying off some of the interest that it accumulated. Uh-huh. But... You know, 
those were the glory days. And the, uh, the, the casino industry took a big hit after the uh, Bellantar uh, disappeared, which I think you can see now in the Princess Arbor comics. Uh, and also after the Holy Country Navy got destroyed, after the Lunar Conquest came. I mean, basically, it's really hard to run a casino when everything is surrounded by war. Yes, and uh, Herrick the Berserk and his, uh, his, his wolf pirates did actually touch at Casino Town after their great victory in 1616. They didn't sack Casino Town per se, but they had a riotous good time. Yeah, I think... Um was it one time or a couple of times that Herrick has shown up? Uh, he does. He does make a reappearance a bit later on as well. But uh, I've, I've I've sort of described what happened during his visit, and there were there is great destruction that uh, that went on. Um, there's a whole area of the city that was uh, raised, and the Videli have appeared and have built their own casino there, which is interesting. Yes. Yes. The private pavilion of the Videli, it's, it's described as. And, uh, well, it's said that, interestingly, it's one of the few venues in the city where you can gamble with cards because they're very common in the West but quite unknown uh, in here dr- in this part of the world. So what we did was we had to come up with some really interesting gambling games that were a bit different so that uh, people could have fun with those. And you came up with a good one, didn't you, Jeff? I can't remember which one it was. Oh, I, it was uh, the one with the sticks. Oh, yeah, the gambling sticks. Gambling sticks are awesome. Yep. Um, gambling sticks, um, it, they've been described before in the Sartar Companion as a means of communicating with spirits, but they're also used for gambling, hence the name gambling sticks. And it is a strange little game Um uh, where you have a number of of marked sticks and you try to collect, you, you basically gamble against another person with another collection of marked sticks. Uh, and uh, not only can you play for money, but you also, and th- this is done in the real world, it has prophetic and um, magical uh, effect as well. Um, we'll have to put in the episode notes a link to that very bizarre YouTube video of people actually doing this. It's the yeah, that was up in the, oh, the 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 gambling stick tournament up in uh, uh, what used to be called uh, the Yukon Territory. Yeah, that was that's that's the the weirdest gambling I've ever seen going on. But so, they're having a good time. Oh, oh, they're absolutely having a good time. Hey, so I, I've put in some I've put in some goofy things into the uh, to the write up about Casino Ten because of course you've you've got to have that. We've we've got various uh, gambling establishments, and just like Vegas, it's all a bit tawdry. I think a lot of the um, a lot of the the fancy facades are actually um, illusions of long duration, and if the magic ever wears off, it's all it's all a bit tawdry underneath. I think probably uh, one of the goofiest things I've got in here is remember I have Red's. There's a restaurant called Red's Globster. Do you remember that one? Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, Red's Red is actually a guy from the Lunar Empire, and he's got a live octopus out the back. And pieces are continuously hacked off for the pot. So as long as you're happy eating endless portions of vaguely fish-like material cut into various shapes and then deep-fried or broiled, you can be really happy there. And as far as I can tell, I've I've only ever been, uh, Jeff, 
to Red Lobster once when I went to Florida. This is actually the real restaurant called Red Lobster. And that did appear to be what is done there. I, you know, I hate to say it. I, I don't know if I have ever been at a Red Lobster. Uh, the idea that you can have relatively inexpensive, quote-unquote, lobster just frightened me. Well, I've described it in my uh, casino tad write-up as vaguely fish-like material. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds to me like another tawdry but uh, long-lasting illusion. Yes, yes. But we have, I mean, there is a, uh, this whole holy country exercise that we've been working on has been terribly, terribly productive. We've got, what, um, 43 pages of locations in the city of Nochit. An amazing map, which uh, is going to be so great to show people soon. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, and actually, the funny thing is this whole project came from, uh, I wanted to do an environmental map. Uh, the city of Nochit, and uh, with an environmental artist. So basically, that's showing uh, an overhead, um, a real-world depiction of the city of Nochit. And we've got this amazing artist who'd be interested in doing it. And I realized, though, that I didn't have anything to, for him to work off. And um, this is a case where I started with one of my crude sketches and it's just developed on a life of its own. And there's now this immense and amazingly detailed, um, uh, PDF map that, that Harold has put together that at this point has every noble house in the city. It's got every temple of any size whatsoever in the city. It shows where the aqueducts are. It shows where the granaries are. It shows where all the docks are. It shows where um, the um, the uh, stairs leading. You know what areas of the waterfront have stairs leading down to the uh, uh, to the bay or to the river. It has all the walls. It has... I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It's it's freaking huge. And um, uh, it's actually already the second best city map that has ever been done for Glorantha. Wow. And, and uh, of course, we plan to go further with it and have something that is basically new Pavis level of detail but for a city of over 100,000 people instead of only 5,000. And this will be a, uh, a great venue to have adventures start in, as we said, that not only can go in the city, but take you to both places in the holy country itself and then out into the, uh, to the wider world. Um, I've actually been writing some like vignette scenarios that are ways to just kick people off with things and... Uh, before I knew it, I had one of them that ended up with the players in Fonrit after about three paragraphs. So yeah. that's what you can do when you're starting off in a city like uh, like Notchit. Well, and that's one of the things that now that the guide is out, there's no, even though uh, HeroQuest Glorantha is grounded in the Greater Dragon Pass area of Sardar, Tarsh, Prax, uh, Israelia, Hjortland... It's now very easy to leave that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can have adventures where you take your group of, you know, you might start with a bunch of Sardarites that go to Nochit uh, to um, help fight, you know, help defend the city against the Lunar Siege. 
and afterwards uh, decide that they are going to uh, go on a trade expedition to Fonret, or um, or decide that after you know that they're going to take their booty from the Battle of Penelford and and spend it in Casino Town. Uh, or they're going to accompany Herrick and Argrath to sack the City of Wonders. And that's just fun. Sure. I think um, I think a lot of adventures can always end up in Casino Town because, you know, player characters end up with a lot of loot they've got to be separated from in one way or another. <laughs> exactly. And it, 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 that's always my experience every time I've gone to uh, uh, Las Vegas is it's a city where... Uh, I imagine there being countless vacuum hoses that are just trying to get into my wallet. Yeah, that's right. And hey, Jeff, Hoover it all out. We are, we are, we are drawing close to the end here. And oh my gosh, you're right. Do, who are we going to ask the questions of? Um, you know, we've been saying this for. I think this is our ninth episode. And we've been saying we have to, we have to talk to Rob, to the producer. We have to ask him. The four questions. So, Rob, we're putting you in the hot seat today. Are you ready? Um, okay. Well, um, first of all, um, I, I'm going to have my traditional uh, question back. Oh, okay. Back at you, although, although I, I, I interjected rather more than I usually do this episode. Um, I, I've got to say, for a start, I, this is something I have to know, I, or I'll never be able to get the uh, the image of the phallus wind chimes out of my head. Um, uh, I, I don't know how to say this would not run foul, foul of iTunes. Are they hanging down or are they across? Uh, they normally, okay, from what I It depends seen, how strong the wind is. <laughs> what, what are these called? These are the tintinabulari, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and most... If, if you say so, Jim. The tintinabulari are normally uh, horizontal. And okay, not vertical. Okay. However, there are some very disturbing ones that I've seen, such as the tintinobulari that are um, a set of legs and a phallus that curves up instead of a torso and head. And that apparently was another very popular one. And they'd often have, like, wings on them and things. Yes, they too, were often they? winged. They were often flying phalluses. Yeah. And that okay. that was all the rage in the ancient world. And so, you know, whenever anybody thinks, well, uh, you know, this element of Glorantha is is strange or goofy, just remember we don't paint flying phalluses everywhere. Uh, not Except yet. Except in anyway. Nochit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> all right. Or you do you got a, a follow up question? Or are you ready to answer? No, no. I, I think I'm ready to answer. Okay. Mom, okay, well, drum it's, roll. it's 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 time to ask uh, Rob, the producer, our four questions. So, Rob, um, you are a a gamer of old. We we know this. Um, tell us tell us something that you do better than the average gamer. Well, um, I'm I'm better at eating all the snacks <laughs> for a start, but um, also I'm I'm always up for a scrap. You know, as soon as, as soon as a dragon comes over the hill, I'm, I'm at it. Okay, all right. You, you just go. You go for it. You charge. I go bald headed. Yeah, yes. with snacks. <laughs> with, with snacks in hand. Yes. What, what, yes. what do you do with the dragon if you don't have any snacks? Well, I or or you become oh, the okay. snack. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, there, there, there was some of that. Yeah. So, um, 
Rob, what do you what's what's one thing that you do worse than the average gamer? I'm I'm not the most creative of players. You know, I'm I'm always first into the fight so that I don't have to come up with a plan. You know, that 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 is the plan. That, that is the way that I roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Rob. So tell us, um, tell us something that uh, everybody would know about you as a gamer. Well, look, I, I think in the gaming world, um, my my sister uh, Penny Love and my brother-in-law Mark Morrison uh, wrote horror on the Orient Express. So um, for Chaosium, uh, way back in the day, um, and they are very well known in the uh, the gaming community. And I think uh, most people uh, know that uh, I'm related to them. Yes. And what would be one thing that nobody knows about you? Well, um, th- this is actually very topical. It's more related to uh, to pop culture generally than than gaming. But um, uh, I actually spoke to Christopher Lee on the on the telephone once. Wow! Uh, because yeah, my 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 father wrote a book on Australian opera, and of course Christopher Lee came from an old showbiz family, and uh, one of his ancestors was one of the opera singers in the book. And he actually he actually launched my dad's book. So one day I was, I was at home. I was um, it was in 1982, so I would have been 18. And the phone rings, and I pick it up, and this this very very sort of mellifluous Lewis voice, if that's the word I'm looking for, says, "Can I speak to uh, to Doctor Harold Love?" And I said, "Dad, it's for you." And and my dad spoke to this guy, and he got off the phone, and he said, "That was Christopher Lee." And the thing is, that was 1982, so he was. Only 62 then or something, but he was already a legend 30 years ago. So I was, he was uh, a, very much reminded of... He was a legend. Uh, he was a legend far beyond... 50 yeah, years 50 ago. 50 years ago, <laughs> yeah. Come on, Dracula. Yeah, so... Scaramanga. So, so everybody who knows... So, so everybody who knows me has got two degrees of separation from Christopher Lee. There you go. That's, wow, that is far better because my the the the, the closest um, link I could figure out was is that I've met Sonny Bono and Sonny Bono was a guest star on uh, Scooby Doo, and Dracula oh. has been a villain on uh, Scooby Doo before. So I figured through Scooby Doo, I I get most of my pop culture connections. But this is much better. Well, th- there is oh, of yes. course um, we could have the six degrees of Lee, couldn't we? There is the six degrees of Kevin Bacon game, which is you know where uh, actors are connected to Kevin Bacon. Did you know that there's also the um, there's not just the Bacon number, there's also the Erdos Bacon number. Did you know about this? No. What is this one? Okay, so Paul Erdosh was a famous uh, mathematician who would cheerfully write papers with um, other mathematicians. And you could get an Erdosh number based on uh, whether you wrote a paper with him. So he's got an Erdosh number of zero. If you wrote a paper with him, you've got an Erdosh number of one. If you wrote a paper with somebody who wrote a paper with him, you've got a number of two and so on. Kevin Bacon is the same thing. You can have a Kevin Bacon uh, number of one if you've, you were in a movie with Kevin Bacon. Yes. But did you know there are some people that actually have an Erdos Bacon number? Okay, so they're in a movie with Kevin Bacon and they co-wrote a paper with Erdos. <laughs> or they co-wrote a paper with somebody who wrote a co- <laughs> yes. Oh, I- 
Well, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, I'm 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 just kind of stuck on a. Uh, I was trying to mentally think about my degrees away from Batman. <laughs> so I'll just finish to say that the um, person with the highest Erdos Bacon number, I believe, is the girl who played um, Kevin's girlfriend in the TV series The Wonder Years, okay. who became who grew up to become a mathematician. Wow. Excellent. And I think she, her number is something like a three or or something like that. We'll, we'll, we can check this later. There uh, you we, go. We, we, that, what an amazing way to end this episode as we discuss <laughs> Christopher Lee, the Bacon Erdosh number, and of course, uh, have me stuck pondering how many degrees I am away from Batman, and the answer is three. Oh, tell us more. We need to know. Well, uh, through Scooby-Doo... Yes. Through Scooby-Doo, it's very easy to know Batman because Batman has been a guest star on Scooby-Doo. Everybody in the 60s and 70s was a guest star on The Adventures of Scooby-Doo. Yes, so the Harlem Globetrotters must have very low numbers (laughs) because they were guest stars on everything. Exactly, exactly. So I think, you know, let's ignore this Kevin Bacon nonsense. Let's go to a Globetrotter uh, uh, now, 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 did they guest star on Gilligan's Island? There, there was or, the or... least necessary Gilligan's Island TV movie was the Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island. Yes. Oh, contraire. Oh. My final point, Mob, oh, contraire. I would say that that was the most important movie <laughs> of all time because that way, you know, now through the Harlem Globetrotters, you get Gilligan. Very, very true. Very true. Very true. Hey, and with that, gentlemen... I, I'm and just gonna. I'm just gonna suggest one last thing before we go, to to to, to bring this back to Glorantha. Um, we've got the Erdos number for mathematics. We've got the Bacon number for starring in movies. I you've got we, the Herrick number. We've got the you've what? Got the, Her- the Herrick number. Yes. How many degrees of separation are you from Herrick the Berserk? I think that's what needs to be explored in a later episode. So we can Absolutely. we can end there. Or, or has your head been separated from your body by Herrick the <laughs> Very Berserk? Good. Well, and, and I believe you get a one if either you've been killed by Herrick at the Berserk or you helped him kill other people. <laughs> Very good. Well, at that, I think we're going to end uh, this week's episode of Tales of Mythic Adventure and we can all go off and ponder about our own Herrick number. So I, I'm Mob, Michael O'Brien. I'm Jeff. And I'm Robert. Good evening. And sleep tight. And that concludes another tale of Mythic Adventure, coming to you via download at mythicadventure.com and on iTunes. This was a Rabbit Hat production in association with Moon Design Publications. No ducks were harmed in the production of this podcast, but several baboons had their feelings hurt. (laughs) 